But anyway, here we are, and we're studying great men and women of the Bible. We covered some of the great men and women of the Bible. We're going to be talking today about a man named Joshua. You heard of Joshua. Everybody's heard of Joshua. Just about everybody's heard of Joshua. Joshua was a sidekick with a man by the name of Caleb. And they have a wonderful, wonderful testimony. And God prepared this man, Joshua, to take over after Moses passed away. But he was used by the Lord mightily before Moses ever died. So he is a figure in the Torah, which we call the first five books of the Bible. He is in there. And it's uh, mentioned in chapter 13 and 14 about how that he was one of the spies that went in to the land, him and Caleb and ten others, one from each of the tribes that went into the land to spy it out from the place where they were at Kadesh Barnea. In other words, into the promised land was only a, well, a 11 days journey, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness going on an 11-day journey, all because of rebellion. But God had made some promises to Joshua and to Caleb, and he fulfilled that promise to them. So um, God was good to him. Now, he was kind of like Moses' uh, assistant uh, to help him and so forth. He was also the general uh, commander of the army. And so uh, God used him also in a few little battles here and there that um, I think are notable battles because of who they were fighting and some strange things that happened. So he was awesome. But here in the book of Deuteronomy chapter... Right, Numbers. I was just checking to see if y'all was with me. So it's good to know you're right there with me. In the book of Numbers in chapter 13, look there in verse 16. Verse 16. Now his name, when he was born, was a little bit different than what he was called later. So Moses gave him a, a name here in verse 16. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Yahashua. So he had his name changed, and his name means Savior, means Deliverer. And so later on when you see Jesus' name, Yeshua, you know that that's where it comes from. Jesus Christ, when he came, of course, has the same name, and you'll find that in the book of um, uh, Hebrews in chapter 4, where he's talking about Jesus, and uh, it says Jesus, but it's Joshua, and it's Yeshua. So uh, they have the same name, Savior and Deliverer. So um, it was the law that could lead them up to the promised land, but the law couldn't bring them in. It was the Savior that could bring them into the promised land. So it's an interesting parallel there. So also take your Bible and turn to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, it's on page, let's see here, page, well, I guess it's 549 in the old Schofield Reference Bible. And you'll notice there's chapter 8 and verse 17, where it says, And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and set unto the booths, for since the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun. Now, sometimes we have a little fun and we say, 
Joshua was the only person in the Bible that didn't have a mom and dad because he was the son of none. Well, right there it says he's son of none. But anyway, you know what he means. For since the days of Yeshua, the son of none unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness because they had been, they just come back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And now they're back. But it just shows you that his name was called Yeshua also. And so um, go back in your Bible to the book of Joshua. And you will look in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. This is why it's good to learn some of the books of the Bible and get to where you can go backwards and forwards and so forth in these scriptures. Joshua chapter 24, and you'll notice in the last chapter there, which is the last chapter, and look in verse 29. And you'll notice that in verse 29, and it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. So he lived to be pretty old. Now, how, how long did Moses live? How long? 120 years. So, um, let's see, I'm 73. Uh, I still got a good 30, 40 years to go. Hey, that's not bad. So maybe I can make it that far, you know, if I behave myself. You know. I don't know how long we're going to live. I just know that we ought to live well while we live. And the race that God's given to us, we ought to run and run well. We don't know how much time we've got. Just run it until it's all over. And uh, one of these days, we're going to be up here with those other saints of the Lord. And I think that'll be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, as you know, Joshua was like a military commander for the army of Israel. And they had a serious problem with the Amalekites. Now, y'all remember a sermon I preached some time ago called um, Then Came Amalek. Y'all probably don't remember that sermon. Then Came Amalek. Anybody remember that sermon? If not, I'm going to have to preach it again. It's uh, I did it as soon as I came down here when I was just traveling through, you know, and I preached the sermon on Then Came Amalek. And I used him as a type of the old nature that we have, our old sinful nature. And so the old sinful nature wants to keep us from getting into the promised land. Well, that's what um, the Amalekites were doing. And so take your Bible and turn there to the book of Exodus chapter 17. Exodus in chapter 17. And these are just a little highlights concerning the man called Joshua. Joshua was a, a spiritual man, a godly man. And so uh, God used him in a wonderful, wonderful way. Now look there in verse 8. In verse 8 says of Exodus chapter 17, Then came Amalek. That's where I got the title for the sermon. Then came Amalek. Everything's going along fine, and then along comes Amalek. That old sinful nature of yours and messes you all up. Then he says here, And he fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, Fought with Amalek, and Moses... Aaron and her. Now, I don't know if this was Ben Hur. You've heard of Ben Hur? 
I don't know if that was him or not. And Ben-Hur, I mean her, went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands were heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and her stayed up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Isn't that something? As long as his hands were up, they would be winning. When his arm come down, <laughs> uh, they had problems. Now, this is the two natures. That's all it is. See, there's two natures. This is when you're born into the world. That's Amalek. He's bad. But he was there first. So he's the one that has control of this body. So my old sinful nature was born first. Flesh first. Then you trusted Christ as Savior. You got a new birth. Or spiritual birth. So which one wins? The one you hold up can win. And if you don't, it goes the other way. So you need help in your Christian walk to always keep the right person fighting the battle. And as long as you keep remembering that, you know, here comes Amalek. And you may defeat him today, but Amalek's coming back tomorrow. He never stays away long. And so you'll have to fight old Amalek all the days of your life. But there is a day coming when you and I won't have to ever worry about Amalek anymore. God says he's going to take away the remembrance of Amalek forever. He's going to take it away. And he says the same thing about that first flesh birth, that old sinful nature. God's going to do away with it, and you'll never remember it anymore. The former things will be remembered no more. But that's what he says. Now look what he says in verse 13. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Going to do the same thing with it. So that's why he's a good type of the flesh. But you're going to have the war with the flesh because Amalek wants to keep you from reaching maturity, reaching that place in the promised land where you learn how to feast on the Lord, how you can enjoy the blessings of God. So he's always warring against you. He's a troublemaker, and he lives inside of you, an old sinful nature, like having a little terrorist living inside of you. Now, this is hard for people to understand. Inside of every one of us, we have a little terrorist, like Osama bin Laden, uh, Hitler. We got an old sinful nature like that living inside of us. He terrorizes us, wants us to live in fear. And so you can let him terrorize your life, mess up your life, whisper in your ear, and deceive you, lie to you. His job is to bring you down any way he can. So he works on your mind. Uh, that's an Amalek. And every one of us have one. And we're going to have him as long as we have this physical body. Only way we can get rid of him is to get rid of the body. So when you die, you don't have to worry about him anymore. All of your fights and battles are over. Me and Betty was talking the other day. <laughs> She's talking about, you know, when we die and they have on these things, you know, rest in peace, rest in peace. Because, yeah, I think it was yesterday when we came home and I said, honey, I, I, I am tired. I am just tired. She says, we ain't got time to rest. We ain't got time to rest. That woman pushes me. <laughs> she said, we ain't got time to rest. She says, well, rest when we die. I must be going to die tomorrow. 
So it says to rest in peace. I said, I'm going to rest in pieces. <laughs> so, anyway, it's, uh, it's interesting. But there is this battle that goes on that we'll have to, you know, put up with and fight with. Now look in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14. And chapter 14, verse 22. Numbers 14, verse 22. You notice there's a, a promise that God had made to Joshua and to Caleb. And so because of their faithfulness to the Lord, God had promised that they will be able to go into the promised land. So he says in verse 22, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. Do you know there's a, a problem with making God angry? I preached a sermon years ago, is don't make Melanie mad. But the purpose of it was don't make God angry. Don't make God mad at you. And you make God mad at you by not believing him, not trusting him, not taking him at his word. When he says something, you're supposed to believe it. But a lot of times, you know, Christians, we, we just don't. And so God says, you provoke me to anger. You're making me mad. So God's going <laughs> to slap you around a little bit. And remember, all those people, those 12 that went into the land to spy out the land, 10 of them came back and gave an evil report. And they says, we're just like grasshoppers in their eyes. I mean, these guys are like giants in the land. The children of Anak, these are giants in the land. We can't do it. You see, some people look at their problems and see how big the problem was, which is what they were doing. There's others who look at God and see how big God is. Oh, I don't care how big the problem is. I've got a God that's bigger than the problem. It's like, remember when um, the children of Israel had to face the Philistines and Lo and behold, the giant comes out there, Goliath, and he challenges the children of Israel. Send me a man that will fight with me. I was scared. Nobody wanted to do it. And here comes little old David. He says, what's that big mouth talking about? He's defying the armies of the living God. He had no fear of that big mouth. He says, hey, no problem. I can handle this. He said, I've already killed a bear, and I killed a lion. He says, this giant, he's nothing. And he picked up five little smooth stones out of a brook and his sling, because he had some brothers. I guess he was preparing for the other four brothers. And he put that stone in there, and he whirled it around, and the Holy Spirit took that stone and guided it right to the middle of his forehead, sunk in his forehead, and he went down. And David went over there, and he took his sword, and cut off his head. A, a young kid. Because so, see, he saw how big God is, and everybody else saw how big the giant was. And the children of Israel saw how big those giants were and how big the problem. You see, those are stories in the Bible to help you and I realize, hey, you got problems. There's a God bigger than your problem. I don't know what your problem is. So that's why I say that generally it's um, a spiritual problem. 
Spiritual problems mean that you've got problems, but those problems are not bigger than what God can handle. So many times we don't commit our problem to the Lord, we try to handle it on our own. And God says, you ain't big, you can't do it. So you commit unto the Lord. And if you'll do that, you'll be surprised what God will say do to you. But now notice what he says in verse 25. He said, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, hath followed me wholly, or fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. Then he says, now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. So they knew they were going to have problems, but this is what God had promised them. But now you'll look there in chapter 14 and look in verse 1, because you'll notice the word all, and all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. Why were they weeping? Why did all the congregation, why is everybody crying? Because they heard a bad report from ten spies who came back and says, we can't do it. Here they are, they've done come all this way, they've left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, into the wilderness, now they're up there at the door, and they've got giants in the land. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Well, I guess we've got to go back to Egypt. Now you think, God says, you saw all these miracles that I did. You saw it. And you won't believe me now that I can take care of them. Don't you realize, did you see what I just did with the, the Pharaoh and his armies? And how I brought you out with a mighty hand? And I opened up the Red Sea and you could walk through on dry ground? Don't, don't you remember that? It's amazing how quickly we can forget how good God has been to us. What, did this unbelief, did it cost these people anything? Those that were 20 and over, God says, you're not going to go into the land. You're going to die in the wilderness. But notice what he says in verse 2. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Okay. God says, okay. You're going to die in the wilderness. You're never going to get into the promised land. So God made a promise. And so in the next 40 years, God allowed all those people to die, but he had promised Joshua and Caleb. He says, because you followed me holy, and you believe, you get to go into the land. So God is the one who can watch and see that everybody else dies, and that those two people were going to enter into the promised land. That is like a guarantee you're not going to die. Because God had made a promise. You're going into the promised land. And so it says down here in verse 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, he says, which were them, with them, in verse 7, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land. He will give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. But they wouldn't listen to him. In verse 10, and all the congregation bade stone them with stones. How's that? Taking a stand for the Lord. and Now, everybody's willing to stone those two because they told the truth. The other ones lied. So God says, okay, you can do what you want. But God says, you're going to die in the wilderness. 
So look what he says here in chapter 14. And you'll notice what he says here in verse 31. But your little ones, which you and said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness. Your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities even forty years. In other words, you're going to pay one year for every day that you went into that land. You come back and you did this, you're going to pay. See, God has a reason why he does what he does. And he says, they are going to die. Now look in Joshua chapter 1. The book of Joshua chapter 1. God, in verse 5 of chapter 1, blesses him with invincibility. To be blessed with invincibility, that is awesome. But look what he says here in verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the son of the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Forty years has passed. Now they're there. And Moses couldn't even get into the land. He could see it from Mount Nebo where God allowed him to die, but he couldn't get into the land. Now, why couldn't he go into the land? Well, because he disobeyed God. God told him at one time, there's a rock, and they were thirsty. He said, strike the rock. So he struck the rock, and the water came out. The next time they were thirsty, and so Moses struck the rock again. And God, no, no. I told you to speak to the rock. You struck the rock. You say, something so simple. Yes, but that rock was Christ. Christ died on the cross how many times? One. And you don't strike him again. He is a picture of this living water that we get because of who Christ is. That's why in the book of Corinthians, in chapter 10, it says, they all were under the cloud. They all were in the sea. They were all, all, all. And they were all drinking that same spiritual water, which was Christ. And so, see, the Old Testament are types of New Testament doctrine. That's why these stories in the Old Testament, we teach them to the kids, though later on they learn doctrine. But sometimes we say, well, we don't need the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is the stories that illustrates those doctrinal truths. They go together. And that's why if you just had just the Old Testament, it is like a symphony that has no ending to it. And so it's just, it doesn't end. I was telling the Catholic the other day. I says, for example, we're up here and you're doing Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah, 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 ha. And you stop at three and everybody walks home. You say, well, you, you didn't finish it. You, you didn't finish it. You got it up there, a crescendo, and it, then you just didn't finish it. Well, the Old Testament is like that. It's like a beautiful symphony, but it needs the New Testament. You've got to have the ending of it. You have the Old Testament, and it builds, 
And then there's 400 years of silence. You're talking about a arrest. You ever have music and it has a little rest you got to have in there? And then the rest of the symphony takes place. But if you don't have the rest of it, this is incomplete. And you have all these prophecies, but no fulfillments. So therefore, you have to have it. You need both. And some people, they miss out on the true symphony of the Word of God because, well, I just read the New Testament. The Old Testament's so hard and complicated. You can't understand what he's talking about right here. I mean, we read these verses. That's not understandable. You know the King James is written on a sixth grade level? Well, it used to be. Now they're dumbing them down even more. But now look what he says. He says in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittite. Euphrates, that goes all the way over to Baghdad. I mean, over, I mean that goes all the way over to the, the Babylon. The Tigris and the Euphrates, that's over in Iraq. All that land, that belongs to that belongs to Israel. But anyway, he says here in verse 5, he says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. That is invincibility. God said, I am going to watch over you and protect you. He's already done it for 40 years. All the other ones had died. But Joshua and Caleb, they get to go in. And so he says, I will be with you. I will not fail you. These are some wonderful promises that we have, you know, in the Word of God. So he says in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land. So God used him. There's 12 tribes. There's the land. 11 tribes get land. And one tribe, the tribe of Levi, didn't get property, a uh, place of their own, because they lived among the people and all the other tribes. And so he was to divide the, the inheritance up. You know, it's like, hey, we've been told about this will. And, you know, some rich relative left you a bunch of money. So you want to go and hear what, you know, what do I get? What do I get? And this is your inheritance. What piece of land do I get? There's all this land and these tribes, you know, they're all tribes that get this certain pieces of land. Would you want to say, I want this one, I want that one. You know what Caleb says? I want that mountain. I want that mountain. And so the Lord had promised it to him. Moses promised it to Caleb. Caleb now is 80 years old. And he says, I'm, I want that mountain. And you know what? That's where the giants lived. Here's an 80-year-old man. He believed it 40 years before, and he still believes it, and he's still young enough in heart and spirit that he says, I want that land, and I'm going to go take it. And God gave it to him. I think it's awesome. It really is.